You're listening to the Backstage Pass podcast, hosted by Hannah Trigwell and sponsored by Tom. Ben Matravers, how are you? Not bad. How are you? What's going on? I'm good. This is going to be an interesting podcast because we're very good friends and we talk a lot of rubbish. So and I'm proper I... on guard about what I've got to say now. This is like <laughs> yeah. this is, I'm really nervous to be honest. Yeah, I'm yeah. anticipating a lot of edit. We but... can, we can edit stuff. Is that is that cool? Oh, this will be. Oh, sound. I'm so much more relaxed slightly. now to improve the flow of the conversation yeah. and to make sure um, we don't get sued or arrested. Yeah. 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 Cool. Definitely. Good vibes. So for the listeners and the viewers, who are you and what do you do? Hi, everyone. Uh, my name's Ben. I'm a writer and producer. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I just kind of sit here and write tunes for people. And it's, yeah, it's mint. It is. Yeah. It is good. I can I can vouch when we're in there making music, we're just taking the mick out of each other the whole time. But Yeah. I think that's a lot of studio work there. I think, like, the vibe is as important as, like, the kind of content you're doing because if you're having a rubbish time chances are you're not going to do anything good i feel like yeah true it, it is important to have that kind of good work atmosphere i guess and it sounds like such, yeah, it sounds like such a corporate like bs kind of thing doesn't it oh good working environment and all this but like i think when you're doing like creative stuff it really is like it is important i remember one time when we were working together and we were just both having an off day and we were like this this isn't working so let's go outside <laughs> Yeah, I remember that. And walk that. around for a bit. I remember that. It's one of those things of creative stuff, though. You can't force it sometimes. It's difficult to be like, today I'm going to write a hit tune and this person's coming over. And sometimes it's just, it's not there sometimes. But strange, isn't it? Do you actually feel that pressure to write a hit tune now, now that you've been doing it for so long? No, because um, I've given up. <laughs> 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 no, I, I, I do sometimes with some projects. So if there's like, if it's like a high profile one and you've got like, this is your day with that artist. And like, I do feel that sometimes. Um, I kind of, it's, it's not useful. I think like you've got to worry about the things that you can change and influence. And I think like getting nervous about that kind of thing is not that smart use of my time. So I kind of like, I do try and take a step back and be like, right, just do what you can do. And if it don't put too much pressure on yourself, like if you don't write a hit today with this person, then you might do it tomorrow. And I think it's like, yeah, true. Remember why you do it as well. I mean, it is our job and we do have to earn a bit of money, but it's it's like, that's not why we started doing it. Do you know what I mean? It's about mm. making tunes that we like. And I think if you relax into it, that's the way it's done. That's true. Yeah. We've had like major ups and downs with it, both of us. I think like often when we say to each other, um, why try harder? It's because yeah. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> the stuff that we seem to try less on does better yeah it's such a weird thing i think like, everyone does it as well you go through that cycle of like um you're having the best time and like i'm gonna be the next max martin or whatever and then literally the day later it's like right i quit and i'm gonna be on like i'm gonna i'm gonna sign on and i'm just gonna like do something else for a living like i'm never gonna do this i'm the worst music producer of all time and then you kind of wake up the next day and it's like, actually it'll be all right <laughs> It's just like, I'm amazing. Yeah, it's the kind of cycle. It's the cycle that I think every like creative goes through, just like overthinking everything, and just like one day, you're yeah, like I said, you know, next Max Martin. The next day, you're nobody, and it's like it's, you got to keep on top of that stuff sometimes. When's but, the last time you had a dip like that? Uh, pretty recently, to be fair. I think like the whole like coronavirus thing's been tough. I think for everybody, and don't be wrong, like like my friends and family are fine, and all that's like the major important thing and like 
me and you will survive this. Do you know what I mean? Like financially and physically, hopefully. Do you know what I mean? But it's like I think so. Like yeah. we we shouldn't harp on about too hard, too long about how hard it's been because it's chilling in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, yeah. But I think there's definitely been. I've definitely felt that pressure of being like. I think as music industry is about momentum. So often it's about like if you do something good, people can work with you. And you do something else that's good and. It carries on like that. And I think just because this year I've had quite a good year with production stuff and then suddenly it's like, right, you can't work for four months or whatever it's been. That's mm-hmm. been stressing me out quite a lot. That's definitely been something I've been thinking about. But but I mean, as with everything, like everyone else, exactly the same boat. You just got to adapt, don't you? So we're doing stuff with Zoom, doing like, just trying to make it work and just keeping on, keeping on. Can you tell us about some projects that you've been working on recently? Uh, yeah, uh, stuff with hannah trigwell she's really good check check her <laughs> out yeah uh to be honest, we've got a couple of cool tunes we've signed off over the, yeah. the break i'm kind of looking forward to some of them coming out yeah we um, we have actually way more than i thought we had yeah yeah yeah. i was looking in the folder the other day for like finished finished songs that have been mixed that are just waiting to be mastered and there's there's a lot yeah and they're like i feel like the stuff we've done recently is like a step up as well like i think we've done some really really cool stuff recently mm. i'm i'm definitely looking forward to seeing what happens with them um yeah hey, stuff for yourself been working on a couple of tunes with easy life as always um hoping some of those end up on spotify at some stage in the future um so i think easy life are pretty well known now in the uk but for for people who are listening and watching from elsewhere how would you describe easy life i think the fact they're so difficult to describe is like their selling point i think it depends on like what side of bed murray gets out of in the morning as to like what's going on or what he was listening to during the week i think like the fact there's like no it's really hard to define them like pigeonhole them is like definitely why they've done quite well i think like if you listen to like their records and stuff it's not like you have the same song 10 times they've just i think that's just like a generational thing as well i think definitely like songwriter younger songwriters that coming through now like it's not like you, I said 10, 20 years ago, it's like people, you listen to Oasis or you listen to something else and then everything about you was defined by that band. Like you dressed like that. You like you started walking like Noel Gallagher or like you had your haircut like that. Do you know what I mean? Everyone, that was like, <laughs> yeah. but it was like music influenced everything in like society. I think now like music's just because you can listen to it anywhere. It's like consumed just in a much more like casual way. People mm-hmm. listen to so much more stuff and people are so much more kind of like, musically like diverse i think that's definitely coming through with like bands and songwriters now that people are just yeah. doing what they want i think i think that's like why easy life done quite well like it's all kind of like fairly down tempo stuff like hip-hop kind of stuff but it's, it's pop music really and like i think there's no pop's not a dirty word pop just means you're doing something right most of the time <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for pop lovers like us we just like pop yeah. Pop's great <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think there's a real snobbery about it sometimes though people get really weird about the word pop music and like Mm. people think they're too cool for it and if it's like pop music isn't like the Spice Girls you know what I mean pop music is like pop music is Dave's last record you know what I mean it's a cool it's a cool Arctic Monkeys are pop music if you want 1975 is pop music you know what I mean like yeah it's not like pop music is just something that Simon Cowell's manufactured in his underground lab somewhere it's like pop, <laughs> pop, pop is just stuff that people like I think I think it's definitely a bad like mentality get into i see it a lot with like producers as well and people thinking they're a bit too cool to write pop music and i i personally and I'd, I'd like i'm sure you're the same like i find like writing good pop songs is the hardest thing to do like yeah. writing, some, writing something simple that cuts through and 
hasn't necessarily been done exactly the same before and finding that new way of saying something that's been said a million times it's like that's the goal at the end of the rainbow that everyone's chasing I guess but it's it's so much easier said than done like try and write a song with four chords that someone hasn't written before the same four chords that have been used in like 10 million songs before it's not easy anyway I'm rabbiting now I can't remember what we're talking about this is, just, <laughs> this is what happens when I haven't seen you for a long time I'm just gonna <laughs> talk absolute waffle so no it's good yeah so we yeah. haven't had a session for oh, it's gotta be like three or four months I've not now. seen you for ages but bear in mind like yeah like you said at the beginning, we're quite good mates and we probably see each other like a couple of times a week normally. Yeah. It's yeah, it's weird chatting to you through like a five inch screen. It's it's odd. It is strange. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've been working together for uh, eight years. Yeah, I reckon. I reckon. Yeah. You've been working with Easy Life for the same or not if not longer, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean not necessarily in there like current form I think Easy Life's been like a, a kind of an evolution of like so Murray the singer is my brother um, and like we've been kind of growing up together and writing tunes together since we were kids really and like he's been kind of in and out of bands and Easy Life's taken like a long long kind of evolution to get to where they are now mm. um, I think people don't realise that when they see a band come up like if it's say for example they got on um BBC Soundpole, they were like second in the BBC Soundpole and it was like suddenly like, oh, there's someone to watch next year. And I think people just like kind of assume that, oh, they must have formed like last year or the year before or whatever, but they just, yeah. it's, it's a new project. But like there's, they're eight years deep in that project. Easy. Like learning their trade. Like not necessarily as the stuff they're doing now, but there's, so but Murray's like, he's had like part-time jobs and stuff and he's, he's done some weird jobs to be fair. But like he's been doing, <laughs> he's been a, a musician, kind of self-employed musician, um, kind of scraping by for like since he's left school so he's what 20 I should know how old he is really he's like 24 ish now so like he's probably been doing it for six years a long time kind of part-time yeah. jobs I mean well they got signed a couple of years ago so but yeah it's, it's been a long long time coming their success so I'm glad it's mm. I'm glad it's happened from when you were first like songwriting and producing obviously your studio now is full of really cool kit but yeah. what did you start off with Started off with a second-hand laptop and uh, a really, really, really terrible interface, and like a like a twenty-quid microphone, and that's that's like literally it. And it's slowly grown and eaten all my money into the things you can see behind me, but, <laughs> <laughs> and the things you can't see, which are over there. But it's everyone. It's very easy to get very obsessed with what synths are using, and mm. I don't necessarily think it matters that much a lot of the time. It's about the ideas and how you use the kit. It don't get me wrong. It's yeah. it's really useful to have like nice stuff if like if you got it for the right reasons and all the rest of it. But I don't think it's it's not the be all and end all. Mm. Like I kind of try and section my work if you like. So when you're in the writing process, that you're not necessarily using too much technology and too much stuff because I think it it's not necessarily that helpful for the creative process if you're just thinking what what synth shall I use here? What like you start thinking like in the mix. And I don't think yeah. it kind of gets you out of your, I kind of section it into kind of like writing and production and like engineering. It's like two separate jobs. So like, I don't think like kit is necessarily, for a, for a songwriter's point of view, is necessarily the be all and end all. It is, it is nice to have. It's a nice luxury to have. But I mean, the stuff you're looking at behind you is like, yeah, like you said, probably 10 years plus in the making. What are the pieces that you just couldn't, that you, that are like your, the things that you now couldn't do without? Do you know, a lot of it's the really boring stuff. So like, I think if 
so for people watching, if you're looking to like spend some money on some studio stuff, the most important stuff for me is like some decent converters. It's like it's really really boring and it's horrible spending like a grand on a box which you've already got a box for a hundred quid that does the same thing, and like, mm. <laughs> but it, it's like when you're listening back to stuff, you can make better decisions and like the stuff you that you're recording sounds immediately just does sound better so i think stuff like that is really important like kind of like the exciting stuff i'd struggle to live without my moog um i do love that thing uh, which you can kind of see over my right shoulder um i've had like a few profits over the last year they're just great because i think a lot of the time the kind of especially the music i make at the moment is just you can you can immediately get something which takes up a fairly like sizable chunk of space in the mix but it kind of sits well underneath a vocal, and you can you could chain it to a kick or something, so it gets out of the way easy enough. But they and they just take up a decent amount of space, and they sound great. And they're so easy to sculpt; just everything's in front of you. You can make decisions there and then, print it into your computer, and what happened in that moment was like the right thing to happen, kind of thing. The cool thing about them is they're quite like wobbly sounding, if that makes sense. They're like, they, they, if you get like a soft synth, everything's like very very perfect. Sometimes there's a lot of stuff you can do to make it less perfect, but like the. The profit, like the profit five, which is the profit six. This is so boring. Everyone's going to turn it off by now. The, the this is <laughs> this is this is gold. The reason that one was so cool was because it's just like a bit unpredictable, and every now and again it will go out of tune. It wobbles a bit, but it, it gives stuff character. Yeah, I think that's it, it. Can be like quite easy to make quite like soulless music with a laptop sometimes. If and I think stuff like that's very very easy to add a bit of like warmth and like kind of sloppiness sometimes, and stuff that isn't like necessarily straight on grid. I try and work as much as I can without quantizing stuff so I mean it's like anyone can program a beat but like not many people can play one do you know what I mean with like feel mm. I feel that's really, really important at the moment because like everyone's got a laptop everyone's making music and I think the less perfect stuff is now probably the better isn't that weird what do you think about programming feel it can be done yeah it can be done and like yeah it, it's definitely there's like it's definitely can be done it's just it's I've it's depends what you're trying to achieve i guess like for drums it can yeah. be, be done quite easily and it's quite difficult to program like uh something where you're like a piano for example or a synth where you're using like six fingers or something it's quite difficult to program how mm-hmm. a hand is spread across a piano or something it can be done but like it'd take you all day yeah um, yeah <laughs> have like you that. ever tried to do that no um, i've got a very short attention span <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. What's the synth that's behind this, this you? Thing, with this, the... this thing is a Moog MS20, which I've stolen from a friend of mine. Um, nice. I'm having quite a good time with it, actually. It's it's a weird one. It's like, again, it's like an emulation of an old Moog thing. It's like a, um, they've re-released an old synth. I to be honest with you, I don't really know how it works, but I've had quite a good time just <laughs> mucking about with it and making really weird noises with it. It's like a proper analog synth where you have to like really know what you're doing. So it does require a bit of like thought and like a lot of, you know, when you get a new synth, usually you flick through the presets, find something that's cool, then kind of tweak it a bit to sculpt it into where you are, where you want to be. Mm. This thing you have to kind of start from scratch and actually think about it. But it's been, you know, it's been quite nice. I've enjoyed having it. I do need to give it back. Have you ever had a situation where you've bought a new piece of gear and then thought, oh no, I've I've literally got all the gear and no idea. <laughs> Yeah, like literally everything you see here. <laughs> yeah. You but, just figure it out sort of after the facts. Yeah. Do you know the, the mm. Moog was a bit like that? I got I had it such a long time now. It was like it was the first proper like analog synth that I bought. I've had it's quite the sub twenty sub thirty seven, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah but yeah. it's like it, I got it when it first came out. It's like one of the first generation thing. Uh, yeah, it was definitely I kind of learnt learnt a lot from using that. I'd had like 
kind of cheaper since before. Like I had a Roland Gaia before that and I had a few things like kind of cheap cork stuff before. But I'd never what happened to the Roland Gaia? I got rid of it um, because I've got too, too many synths. <laughs> it's a cool synth, Aww. actually. It's a it really, looks really, nice. Yeah, it's a really cool little synth. If I had space, I'd probably kept it. But. Have you ever got a piece of kit where you've gotten rid of it quite fast because you realised that it wasn't yeah. an efficient yeah. way of working? I've, what What was that? I uh, got an Avalon channel strip for running bass through and found it was just nowhere near as good as my Universal Audio. LA610. Okay. That stayed about three days. Uh, wow. Yeah. I've had a few, like, I've had a few since which have kind of been and gone. Um, I'm kind of quite at peace with, like, roughly where everything's at at the moment. I've kind of got a cool little thing going on. Yeah. But and what else? I've had speakers that have come and go. I've had, like, replacements for the focals, which I've, but I've had these focals about six years now. And yeah. everything I get is, I think, because I know them really well. It's not necessarily that anything's better or worse i just i know how all these speakers sound like now it's quite difficult to get rid of them but yeah what what speakers did you have before the focals i had some adams some they were quite nice some adams um similar kind of design to these ones but mm. just not these ones uh, if anybody is still here listening to me geek out with this we've got way too much free time <laughs> people people including myself are interested yeah, genuinely fair. interested in this stuff I've known you write a lot in in your basement where you are now. Um, how do you feel in terms of writing elsewhere? Are you more comfortable at write like with writing at home, or do you like? I don't, I don't mind out? it. I don't mind it. I quite like a bit of daylight every now and again. Um, not not <laughs> yeah. not too much, but just like a little bit token daylight now and again. Obviously, it's yeah. like I've got all my stuff here, so if I want to do something, everything's like I've got my workflow is here really really nicely, but. It is quite nice to get a change of scenery sometimes and like it's it kind of changes your workflow a little bit sometimes if you haven't got and you kind of way of thinking if you haven't got the usual stuff you rely on. So yeah, it's definitely Because nice. I remember when you had a, um, was it just a Mac? It was like a standalone yeah, computer, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, do you ever like produce on the go now that you've got a laptop? Yeah, I do. Just because I spent like fair amount of time on trains i try and do like just the boring stuff like vocal edits like all the stuff that everyone like avoids doing i try and do that I try and busy myself mm. if i'm out and about the only thing with that is i find you kind of like your heart isn't in it if you're not in a studio and you're not like sat there in the environment it's quite hard to like actually get into something and i'm really conscious of being that knobhead on the train who's got logic open with this and it's just like everyone's looking at them being like what are you trying to prove do you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was just i was really conscious of being that guy did part of you love it though when you first started? I I used yeah. to love working on projects on trains. But um, but for like file next to that person that goes and sits in um, Starbucks and answers their emails. Do you know what I mean? And everyone hates that guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. To be fair, it's a bit like Train Guy, Bob Mortimer's Train Guy. That is but, hilarious. Yeah, anyone's not seen that, you're welcome. You should definitely yeah. get involved. Uh, in although I don't know whether only. Do you feel like it's kind of only a thing that British people would really get? Because it's like a British stereotype, isn't it, of the kind of business that- guy that's on a train to London. If if anybody hasn't seen Train Guy by Bob, Bob Mortimer on Twitter, then you won't understand what we're talking about. But mm. it's like a, a parody of a businessman who's on a train having a very loud conversation with a with a colleague. And it's just great. It is great. 
But we're not like that because we're just headphones on, like doing the thing. Yeah, I guess I think because I spend so much time on my own in the basement. As soon as I get around anybody else, I'm just immediately so paranoid about what like being like viewed by another human being is just really weird. <laughs> Your job is literally being watched by people, but I like kind of sitting in my basement and keeping myself to myself. That's my, <laughs> that's my vibe. That's your vibe. It's yeah. a good vibe, to be fair. We, when we work together, we're in a kind of flow where it's very clear that we have certain roles in our songwriting and then you're the producer and then sometimes we use another mixing engineer and it gets mastered by somebody else. But if you had to give yourself one job title, songwriter, producer, mixer, whatever, what would it be? Songwriter, definitely. I think the rest... Songwriter. Like- I'm pretty confident now that I can say I'm like a producer. Like I'm pretty happy yeah, yeah. saying that I can do either of those jobs like reasonably well. But like it's all started from songwriting, and kind yeah. of I do again. I do mix. I do a bit of mixing, and I like I can mix, but I I still feel a bit nervous about calling myself a mix engineer. Like just because I'm not at the like I'm a perfectionist, and I'm not at the level where I is perfect yet. It's and such I, a specialism as well, isn't it? Like it is the. It is. The person that we used to mix some of my pop stuff, Lee Smith from Greenmount Studios, yeah. is he he just he just spends every day all day mixing, doesn't he? He does some production as well, to be fair. He's like he's right. a, he's a great producer as well, but he's he's got a he thinks very differently from like you and me in terms of like if you give him a piece of gear or uh an emulation of a piece of gear, he can tell you everything about it. He can tell you what it does to like the wave he'll have tested it he'll know do you know what I mean he knows everything about it but like and this stuff does interest me to an extent but like I think of it much more like I guess creatively than technically than someone like Lee does but but the the fact he does that means he's like one of the most in-demand mix engineers at the moment like he's very very good at his job because he knows all the technicalities Mm. of it I think to be a good mix engineer you do need to have that like real real interest in the kind of real geeky side of how it works and like I think I get a bit too tied up in the creative side of it to say that I am a mix engineer like I'm again I'm comfortable mixing and I'd mix a fair amount of stuff but it's like yeah I still definitely would find myself at the songwriting end of the chain really when did you first start writing songs then like yeah when I was like generically young like 10 or something I couldn't tell you yeah but because you had an artist project, didn't you, to start off with? Yeah, yeah. And like, to, yeah, I listen, I found some on my computer, like, this year, a couple of days ago, and it's all really terrible. It's all really, <laughs> really bad. But like, I'm glad it happened because it's part of the learning process. Right. I think it's important, though, like, to people to realise that you, when you hear stuff like, so bands you, bands you like or like, whoever it is, like, they've made some really awful music first. And mm. like, do you know, do, there'll be a few exceptions, like your Stevie Wonders and people like that. But like, most people have written some awful music and like just because the stuff you hear now is really good like it's important to like i've definitely done it like like we said earlier when you get to the end of the day and you think this is like the worst song anyone's ever written i quit i'm gonna go like i'm gonna join the army (laughs) but it's important to know that everyone does that and like not every day like you get up and write a hit tune everyone has written some really awful music Mm. but i do it less than i used to which is that's it that's progression (laughs) That is progression, actually. Uh, like, uh, sometimes I get into a bit of a funk with song... Not, not necessarily with songwriting, but with the with the whole thing. And just think, 
you know, what's the point? And have to pull myself out of that. And I do, I do pull myself out of that, but it is, it is in waves because, and sometimes the wave, the dip comes because you feel like you've just written the best song you've ever written. And then there's obviously going to be a come down from that high. Yeah. And sometimes that's the thing that starts it, but then you you just have to carry on. Like how many songs do you think you're writing now per week or month? At the moment, less than I should be, but it's like if we forget Corona, I've been like probably two or three sessions a week. So I would have thought yeah. I'd easily writing, yeah. Like writing and finishing probably 12, 15 songs a month probably. And does it feel to you like every single one is better and better and better i can definitely see the progression not like necessarily each song individually but if you look back like six months before like you can definitely see like i find it weird when like we so we've got a track coming out i don't know when this video is going to go out but like quite soon like oh it'll be out it will be out already yeah we did that probably what a year and a half ago now maybe i don't i don't know it was definitely a while ago and like it's, it's, I always find it weird going back to music we did like ages ago and thinking, oh, like what what have I done here? This is this was this cool? Is that cool or whatever? Like too fair. It's this is going to be out by the time this. this yeah, is out. it will be so, out. Dreams is great and it still sounds great, but like I always get really nervous when you go back and listen to stuff and it's like, yeah, I did that a while ago. I hope it's not terrible. Yeah. But, Plus, there's the whole thing of not that like we're following a trend of any kind because I, I do think that some of the sounds that we've used in in my music are they're just it's just not following anything um but sometimes i just get really aware of the fact that when you when you write a song and then you record the song and get the song mixed and mastered then potentially at least a few months have gone by is it even still even if you're not following a trend is it even still relevant i have that like paranoia about music definitely Especially when you're songwriting as well and you're doing kind of observational songwriting and you're kind of picking up on stuff that's happening. And then Yeah. Yeah, it can be, is this gonna still going to have the weight it's got now in six months' time when it comes out or whatever? Yeah. It's definitely a weird way of looking at it. But. And then there's that thing of, I've written a song that with you that um, is called... It's called a name. I'm not going to say it. Ooh, holding back. Of, of a song that that somebody who's yeah. very big has just released. That really, really annoyed me. Actually, uh, it annoyed me as yeah. well. And and it's just it's just one of those things because it's not. I mean, it's not the same song. Obviously, it's a different song. It's just called the same name. But you know, I've had an album which is called the same name. As somebody <laughs> else's. The, big album the good thing about it was and not to wish like um bad things upon anyone else but the good thing is that song flopped and it's all right it, what, do you think it did yeah it wasn't her finest work it's so like i know that's really awful celebrating somebody else's misfortune but um, <laughs> <laughs> that's not usually my vibe I don't, but <laughs> yeah i i kind of have the feeling that when the song when my song comes out people won't compare it no. but if it if it had come out at the same time, which, to be fair, would have been on track with my original schedule, I would yeah. have been gutted. Yeah. yeah because yeah. there's no there's no competing with an artist of her level, but I'm, yeah, 
I'm getting over it. (laughs) (laughs) You sure? Everything's fine. (laughs) But yeah, that song is like super stripped, really. Um, I I think it's probably the best song you've ever written, I think. But like... But then then Dreams is like kind of full production with a bit of um, organic sounding drums. What do you prefer personally? Do you prefer writing like full productions or like... I think it there's stripped stuff. It depends on the song. I don't. I don't like. I've like the production is. I don't. I think good production is not necessarily like having bells and whistles and like using this compressor or that or this drum machine or whatever. Good production is about supporting the songwriting, and I think every decision you make has got to be. Does this make the song better? Not like mm-hmm. it's not not are people going to listen to this and think oh look what that guy did with this drum that's really cool do you know what I mean like it's not about that it's about yeah. how is that song better and I think like so I don't tend to hear production like in that like big or small kind of way I, I hear production in terms of like how is it making the song amazing do you know what I mean I think that's like the mm. important thing to think like when, especially when you're producing stuff at home like like the classic ones getting people get a a drum loop they'll get a four bar drum loop and they think yeah that sounds banging we're gonna re- we'll have that for three minutes but like then you'll find that the, the song doesn't ev and flow and it's like, does that drum beat in that specific, might be really cool, but does that make that specific part of the song better? Probably not. Even though, But like from, from your point of view saying like, is it a kind of big production? That drum beat might be amazing. It might be really, yeah. might be really technically amazing, might have some really interesting drum production, but like the production overall might be bad because it's not supporting the songwriting. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? So that's kind, of, that's kind of how I view stuff. It's like, how to, how the production affects like the overall experience of the listener rather than, and that's a really like pretentious answer no it's that, not it's that's, good. that's trying mean, it's... that's how i kind of try and approach stuff project when yeah. producing things have you always thought about it like that no no definitely <laughs> not and like definitely not it's definitely something i've learned like over the last few years i think like i think right. to be fair everyone i think because the way people i think especially now with like instagram and kind of like everyone puts everyone up on a pedestal and everything's like, oh, you should be like this or you should, how many likes does this kind of thing get? And when you approach production like that, it's like, oh, I want to be like Max Martin. I want to be like Diplo. And what does Diplo Mm. do? Oh, he does all this cool stuff with his vocals. That's why he's such an amazing producer because he does this distorted pitch shifty thing. It's like, no, that's not necessarily why that's, that's not necessarily good production, but it's quite easy to go down that, oh, I need a signature. I need this, that and the other. Like, yeah. I think we, I think when you listen to like really great producers, like they don't necessarily have something which you can immediately tell it's them. It just sounds like the artists are the best. If you take like Fraser T. Smith or something like that, they've worked with they've worked with Storms and they've worked with Adele, who are like probably opposite ends of like the pop music spectrum. And you can't necessarily mm. hear Fraser in that. You just hear the artist making their best music. Yeah, that's true. And I think that's what like for me, that's what like kind of colorless like production is the really good stuff for me. Yeah. Yeah, fair. Anyway, pretentious answer only. Uh, over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and do you feel like with the improvements in your studio in terms of like products and kit that you have improved sometimes because of having access to that kit? I think sometimes it does make your workflow quicker. It means you can make decisions quicker and you spend less time like obsessing over something. So like the MOOC, for example, if you want like a kind of thick sub bass or something that's going to take up space immediately and you don't have to be like mucking about with soft synths and kind of taking in frequencies in and out you can pretty much turn it on and i know roughly how to get that sound immediately yeah and it's 
Yeah. I know I know how much space it's going to take up in the mix. I know what frequency band it's going to take up. I can do all my automation on the instrument as it's played in, and that that decision takes ten minutes instead of mocking about the soft spinth and drawing it all in and taking an hour, mm. which means which means you can spend the, like your energy making decisions about, like I said, making the song better rather than spending your energy yeah. thinking about what gear you're using. I think so. There is definitely there's yeah. definitely an element that it can speed up stuff, but like. I think it's the decisions that are important. It's not necessarily the kit. Mm-hmm. You can make the same decisions on something else if, and the song might still do just as good. Do you know what I think it's... Yeah, true. There's two instances when I've been like, your when your progression from my point of view in terms of production has has been very fast. And, and the first one that I think of is when you got the focal speakers. Yeah. And the second one is the UAD stuff. Yeah, I was going to say when I got a new laptop and changed all my software, yeah. I I, I think it's because you could hear it yeah. better. Yeah. I, th- I think it's the decision-making process, I yeah. think. Like, if... So I used to use a lot... I still, to be fair, I still use it, but the Waves plugins, for example, and, like, if you compare, say... So I now use a lot of the UAD stuff, amongst other stuff, mm. but, like, if you take, say, um, the 1176 compressor on the Wave stuff and the 1176 on, uh, on the UAD, they're, like... Although they're emulating the same kind of classic piece of gear, they sound completely different. Yeah. And like, and it's the UAD stuff. I find you can just make a decision and you can do it, and it sounds exactly how you expect it to sound, exactly what you want, and that decision is made. And it's like you can go on to making other decisions. I think like that the UAD stuff has just freed up a lot of headspace. I think. Mm. I think that's probably why. I think definitely, and also because my old computer was knackered, and I spent a lot. Of time, <laughs> <laughs> I spent a lot of time shouting at the computer. <laughs> the right. wheel of death. Oh, don't. <laughs> I can't believe I held out for so long on getting a new laptop. I can't, I can't believe that. We had so many times like recording covers and stuff where you were just like, ah, oh, not again. Yeah, I know. <laughs> You've lost half an hour of work. It's awful. Yeah. Uh, but the, but think it's that it's the headspace, not necessarily the work time. It's those like, it just puts you in the wrong frame of mind. And like I said, you're, make, yeah. you're just making like decisions based on like, is this going to like upset my computer rather than is this making the song better? I'd, yeah, I'd, yeah true. if I look back, that's definitely a marked time of improvement is sorting that out. The UAD stuff's really good, though, in terms of like nerding out on gear stuff. The UAD stuff, it is expensive, but it is very... And it's like one of those boring things like converters where you buy like some software. And like I know like 99.9% of the producer like world watching this right now has been like, I buy software, what an idiot, no one buys software. <laughs> <laughs> but like the UAD stuff is really good. And you should definitely buy it, one hundred percent. But it's very, very boring way to spend your money. But it is, it will make your life better. I mean, it, it's it's boring to people that aren't interested in it. Yeah. But like, like you were dead excited when you got that stuff. Yeah. Don't tell everybody. People think I'm sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, I was. The, yeah, I was. The geek in you was yeah. really, really happy. I was loving life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So in terms of setup, what's the dream? What's the like end goal? End goal is to have um, a massive barn at the end of my substantial ground at the bottom, <laughs> which is converted into like 25,000 square foot nice. monstrous Abbey Road type setup. But, but we need to write a few hits first. Yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, the, my main, like, main kind of like goal is to get some natural light in the studio. I think that right. is my next big goal. I know you can't yeah. buy that from Tommen. Sorry, I should say something which is a bit more on brand. But natural <laughs> light, natural light is the big one. Yeah. Will you be able to do that 
in the setup that you're in now? No, not unless I break my house. But, um, right. Fair. But, uh, yeah, no, I'm hoping to move over the next like couple of years and get somewhere with some natural light. But I spent like yeah the whole of my twenties in a dark room somewhere. <laughs> Becoming a mole slowly. Yeah. Look what's happened. Do you do you still get cabin fever? I've spent my whole like adult life in a cabin. I wouldn't I wouldn't know until I get released into the wild. I won't know. <laughs> <laughs> so if you had to talk to yourself like ten years ago when you first started out, what would you say to do or not to do? So it'll be all right. Don't worry about it. <laughs> your life will be all right mate don't worry no um i don't know i think i think i think the best piece of advice i ever got was that the music industry isn't that far away and i think there's often like people see like when they're first starting out you look and like you're making tunes sat in your bedroom and like your 10 people are listening to it on spotify and then you're kind of you tune to radio and you hear people like Phineas and you hear people like big names, do you know what I mean, Mark Ronson's and all this. And, you've, and the music industry and the labels that are supporting these acts and producers seem so far away. And they're not, like, the music industry mm. isn't based in, like, some gold towers in LA somewhere. Like, they're, like, literally an email away. They're, like, one upload on BBC Introduced in a way. Do you know what I mean? It's not... Yeah. It, the music industry isn't this, like, mythical thing somewhere because it's such a glamorous industry to get into people assume that and kind of a desirable industry to get it's not glamorous at all but but on the outside it's got like this kind of air of glamour about it yeah I I think people assume that it's people are untouchable and these labels are untouchable and they're just like you can't get hold of them but actually the music industry is on the whole very friendly very like helpful and people are people want to be involved and if you send people an email and you there's how many how many emails like when you're younger, have you like typed out and saved in your drafts and think, oh, maybe they're too busy, maybe they don't want to hear from me, maybe they're going to think I'm a knobhead, maybe, do you know what I mean? And like, yeah. and, pe- and people, and you overthink stuff. And like, most of the time, I, the worst case situation is when you won't reply. Best case, they'll, they'll reply with something helpful and say, now's not the right time, or all, something positive will come of it. Mm. I think it's so easy to overthink stuff in the music industry because it's got that kind of very intimidating like facade at the front, but actually, it's quite chilled out. And it's actually quite a fun place to work. So just yeah, just yeah, just get on with it. Don't wait. Don't procrastinate. Just get on with it. I think you can't be approaching people thinking, um, "Oh, look at all these amazing things they could do for me. It'd be such a great opportunity for this, that, and the other." If you haven't got something to give to them, then there's going to be like no relationship. It's, it's, mm. That could be your music. It could be just that you've got some great songs, and that is some, that is something. But like, if you have that kind of like kind of stargazy kind of look at it, that's not. You have to think of it a bit smarter than that, I think, and just yeah. be quite pragmatic about what you've got to offer and what you can offer other people as well as opportunities that they can offer you. Yeah, that makes sense. You've got to think most A&R people that tell you my email or whatever, they are their job is literally to reply to emails like yours. Like, do you know what I mean? They, they want to hear from new talent. They want to hear new songs. They want to be the person that discovers the next whoever it is. And, like, that may, like, well be you. So, like... Yeah, just get in touch with people. I'd say reach out. Speaking of new talent, what is your track of the week? Oh, wow. Um, I had a track out this week with a new artist called Josie Proto, a track called Burner. We've we've done quite a few tracks over lockdown over Zoom, actually, which has been quite a good vibe. How's it's that been, been going? Joe, on the whole, like before lockdown, I hated Zoom stuff. Anything like anything like this, I just wasn't about that because I found it quite hard to have like that 
connection, like immediate reactionary connection yeah. you need with a songwriter. But yeah. we've made it work quite well. We've written some cool tunes together. Um, she's really good. She's kind of like coming up quite quickly. Um, yeah. Go and have a listen to Burner, people. It's a good tune. My final question is, what is the best lesson you've learned in your career so far? Probably, just because you can doesn't mean you should, I think. <laughs> Something I would tell for production. <laughs> which is like, because yeah. I think because I'd spent like a long time before as a producer playing and I'm I'm a fairly like competent player like the, a lot of time you kind of hear stuff and you think oh I could I could put something amazing like little synth riff in there or I could do something like outrageous in here and people will think I'm amazing and then all your tracks are just like a complete mess and I think it's just like if you've got more than like if you bounce stuff out to mix and there's more than kind of like 40 50 channels going on you're probably doing something wrong and you need to have a word with yourself and like, Do you remember I, on that song, you had like 120 stems yeah, or something? Yeah. And, and, do you know, but like literally like 90 of them are probably completely unnecessary. I think, <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. be, be brutal. Always, always reference back to like, does this make the song better? And if the answer is no, delete it. No matter how cool it is, mm. just delete it because it probably doesn't need to be there. If it doesn't make the song better, then like you're doing stuff for the wrong reasons, I think. Yeah, so just, fair enough. Yeah, always treat, even production, just always treat everything like from a songwriter's point of view, I think. And just, yeah, good. Have, have a good Solid time. Solid advice. Doing it. Yeah. Well, we are out of time, unfortunately, but it's been great speaking to you as always. Um, it's been it's fun. Felt, it's felt good. It's been, it's been actually, weird speaking to, to you, <laughs> seeing your face. But yeah, it, it's been weird because we normally just talk rubbish for hours on end and then say, we should get some work done yeah, <laughs> and, then, and then get some work done. But yeah, what have you gone for the rest of the week? Uh, a couple of writing sessions, the kind of new normal writing over Zoom, uh, a couple of those, a bit of production. Um, nothing that exciting, to be honest with you. I'm probably going to spend most of it in this room on my own, but such is life. <laughs> Good vibes. That's Good what vibes. You like, where you yeah. like to be, isn't yeah, it? To, to be honest with you, nothing's changed with coronavirus. I've been like mm. self-isolating for eight years. So it's, <laughs> yeah, it's all good. <laughs> brilliant all right have a great week and i will see you soon see you soon thanks for tuning into this episode be sure to hit subscribe and leave a comment to let us know what you think and i will see you next time on backstage pass